0: This morning, if we could have our deacons come forward, we're going to uh, celebrate communion right now. And as they come forward, um, we will be reading some scripture together. You can be seated, obviously. <laughs> Sorry about that. We, uh, we're we coming here together as communion's being passed out. I'd like to read to you a section of scripture, the portion preceding what we're going to speak about today in the sermon. And it's about. Jesus' death, and what is this hideous, heinous thing of the Son of God being killed for us? This awful picture is actually our joy. And before we can get to our joy, we have to understand his suffering on our behalf. And so Matthew 27 says this So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to yourselves. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, and he said, His blood be on us and on our children. And then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, beating him, they delivered him to be crucified. And then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and they put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed, and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his robe and put, put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to crucify him. And as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross and when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink and mixed with gall. And when he had tasted it, oh, excuse me, mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments among those casting lots. Then he sat down to keep watch over him. And, and over his head, they put this charge against him and said this, This is Jesus, and he's the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him. Thank you. We're crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, they're wagging their heads. And they were saying, you who destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. And so the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now on the cross, and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he delivers him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Jesus was mocked. He was the king, but he's being mocked as the king because these folks, blinded by their sin and their rage, cannot see the glory of who Jesus is. And in these elements right here, in this juice and in this bread, we can see clearly who Jesus was. The crucifixion, his death, on our, his death was on our behalf. It was the sinless son of God who shed his blood, and his body was broken so that we might know forgiveness. And so today, before we get into our message, we want to take communion. we want to remember the cost that was paid. The cost that is paid here on the cross is greatly significant, and it shows us the consequence of sin and how desperately wicked sin is, that God would crucify His own Son to, to to rid us of it. And so this is a time of repentance, of reflection, and thinking about what the Son of God has done for us. And when Jesus was in the upper room before this was to happen, he was sat with his disciples and he, he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. In like manner, before this event occurs that we just read, he took the cup. He said, this, this, is the, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it. Let us pray together. God. We come to you this morning and we ask you to open our eyes and our hearts to all that you are. God, let us see the suffering in the cross and let us see that your suffering and your cross is our victory and the only way that we can know life. God, let the weight of these events just kind of seep in on us and weigh heavy on us that we can see who you are, and what you've done for us on the cross, and that we would walk in your freedom and in your liberty and in your joy. And so we thank you that you have given us good news to talk about this morning, and we pray that we would see the good news in the backdrop of this awful, awful thing that you suffer for us. Help us, God, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are soft. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is uh It's nice to be back with you guys. Glad the snow's gone and it's seventy degrees in January. That's awesome, right? Uh, weird. Um, <laughs> what would you say is one of the major major factors that is driving this world right now? Uh, there's a lot of different things, but I, I I'd like to venture a, a guess here that one of the major factors driving our world right now, and I'm not I'm talk, talking in a in in and, and God's, God's got it under control. I'm not talking that sense. Like, what's driving our political system? What's driving the news cycle? What's driving everything right now? And it seems to be fear. Let me give you an example. And I'm about to, I'm about to say some things that are political, but I'm not going to side with either party. I just want you to know that you might not like what I'm about to say, but it's okay, all right? Because I'm not, I'm not trying to take a side here, okay? But I just want you to get fear is all around us. We've got these mass shootings that happen everywhere, okay, that we get they put on the news all the time, right? You've heard of these things? You've seen those before? Nobody's like, I've never heard of that. Okay, if you don't watch the news, maybe you're, <laughs> you're happy, okay? These mass shootings that happen. And when the mass shootings happen, there's both sides of the ticket are, are trying to tell you, uh, trying to use fear to get you to do something. One side of the ticket is like, mass shootings are happening, you better get your gun. The other side is mass shootings are happening, Happening. we got to get rid of all the guns, you get that? Fear is actually driving both of them. And I'm not saying the fear is invalid. I'm just saying it is what it is. ISIS is coming. They see these terrorist attacks happening all over the world. There's one side that's saying, let's go get them because we're afraid of them. And the other side is saying, let's be nice to them so maybe they won't do that. Right? Fear is driving both. Am I Right? And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to debate whether it's valid or what you should do. I'm just trying to say it's fear, right? And I'm also not trying to say the fear is not valid because it is. Fear is driving us. Fear of the, fear of the economy collapsing. Fear, it's, it's what our political cycle is going through right now. If you don't elect this guy then the world's coming to an end, and America as we know it is going to. But if you elect this person, yes, the same thing, America will be destroyed. But if you elect this person, this person, this person, if you don't do this, it's going to be the end of the world. If you do this, it's going to be the end of the world. Ah! Right? And everybody is using fear as a tactic because fear is real. But I want you to get something. The wickedness and perversity that's in the world, and it's there, right? That's what's driving the fear. Is the wickedness and the perversity of the world? It was brought into God's good world by our first parents, and we continue it by following in our nature, which is sin, and we go after it. So the wickedness and perversity in this world—it came in, and it has led to fierce dominance. It's driving the political cycle. It's driving the news. It's playing against your fears. Have you, have you ever noticed how many security alarm commercials you'll see? Watch the Super Bowl. I guarantee you'll see ADT, keep your home protected, okay? Or if you go back in the day and you got the car alarm system protected by Viper, and remember, the snake would come out. Only half, like, very few of you would have gotten that. That's an old commercial. But... And most of most of our cars have anti-theft devices. It's and you paid a lot of money when you went and bought the car for that thing. Why? Because they're playing on your fear. And I'm not saying the fear is not real. If you want to know if the fear is real of you being robbed, just go leave your car running outside. The fear will become a reality. All right? <laughs> If it doesn't, it will be miraculous. Fear has dominated us. It's been driving this world, and it has come because of the wickedness and perversity that sin has brought. But there's some good news for us. First John 4, 18, the apostle John, who walked with Jesus, and who was there at his crucifixion, said this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And really, this is not some kind of uh, care bear type love. This is a love that's rooted in the sacrificial death of Jesus. Because just a few sections earlier in 1 John, he will talk about this word propitiation, which if you didn't know, you're going to learn a word today. You're going to learn that word today if you didn't know it before. And so here's what the great news is this, that God will use and has used the greatest act of human wickedness which is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, who was the perfect Son of God. If there was ever a person who didn't deserve to be outcast, who didn't deserve to be punished, it was Jesus, because he sinned in no way. But he willingly gave himself up, submitting his will to the will of the Father, the Son of God, to, to bear the penalty that he did not deserve. So that those who did deserve a penalty might go free. And so God will use the greatest act of wickedness in all of mankind to cure the world of the curse of sin and to break the chains of fear. Now, that is amazing that God would use the very thing. People thought they were taking care of Jesus during his day, like, we'll shut this guy up. He's making us uncomfortable. Let's kill him. And what they did, they played right into God's plan, and they broke sin's power and made Jesus showed Jesus to be greater than they could have ever feared. And so you see here that fear is dominating and driving the world, but fear and sin and death are crushed by Jesus on the cross. This great wickedness leads to our victory. His suffering leads to our joy. Jesus, Jesus paid the price for our sin, bore the wrath that we don't have to. You don't believe me? Look in the Bible. Let's see it. Matthew chapter 27 verse 45 says this. And I'm going to tell you something, by the way, as you turn it up. Matthew 27 verse 45, it'll be on the screen in a minute if you've got your Bible. You've got an app on your phone, turn it there. I want you to know something. We hadn't canceled church in like forever. Like I don't think the entire existence of the Hartsville campus had never canceled church. Until last Sunday, and it was agonizing for us. We were like, "We don't do it. We don't do it." But like, we had no parking and ice coming up the the uh, the sidewalks, and we thought somebody's gonna break a hip and a car's gonna catch fire and we're gonna be responsible for it. And so we're like, "Hold the phone, time out. We can't do it." And it really was it really was breaking our hearts until so we got Thursday night, uh, getting ready for this worship service, and we were talking about it, and it made sense because we had been talking about Jesus and we needed a break to make this climactic because this is. Jesus is on the cross. This may be one of the most important messages you'll hear because it's about Jesus on the cross. Our whole faith has been leading up to this point. Everything is hinges on what Jesus does on the cross and what will happen afterwards, his resurrection. So, like, this is so hugely important to get this because you'll either be dominated by your fear or by the freedom that's in Christ. And so we see and we pick up in Matthew 27, verse 45, it says this, now from the sixth hour, that's about noon, okay? From the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. So from noon to three o'clock, when Jesus was crucified hanging on the cross, complete darkness. It's gonna be important. I just want you to know that, okay? It's not typically dark from noon to three o'clock in the afternoon, right? Unless you're in Alaska, okay, or Antarctica during a perfect time of the year, okay, which is dark forever, okay. It's not, right? Usually two or three o'clock. That's the brightest time of the day. There was a darkness that descended. This is a, this is truth. It happened, and it is also symbolic, showing that there is something great happening, and Jesus is something. Great and mighty is happening, not something great, as in it's awesome. Verse 46 says this, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which is Arabic, or Aramaic, I'm sorry. you cried out in Aramaic. And then we get the translation, just in case we don't speak Aramaic. Thank God for that. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus has been mocked, dressed him up as a king. He said, oh, you're the king of the Jews. Dressed him up as a king, used the crown of thorns. They beat him with the rod. They put on a purple robe. They took it off of him. They've crucified him. They had this big sign over him that says, you know, he's the king of the Jews. And obviously they're mocking him because the king of the Jews would not be on the cross like this. And it was, it was, so, it was such a, um, this, criminals died on the crosses in Rome. So he is in this place of dishonor. So they're mocking him, and there is this darkness that descends, and Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Now, this is a quote, and he's probably alluding to Psalm 22, which has some of the same ideas. So Jesus, in a lot of the ways, he used to refer to the Psalms was by quoting the first line. So he's definitely doing that, but I want you to notice something. The darkness, accompanied with this, why are you forsaking me, is showing that there is something great that is happening here, something mighty. Some great weight is put on Jesus. There's something dark happening. There is this idea that God is pouring out his anger and wrath on Jesus. Do you guys remember the, uh, when we were talking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he's there praying. And Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane means oil press. And so when he's there and he's praying, what, how, do you, how do you make olive oil? Well, you press olives and they emit their oil, okay? I'm sure it's more complicated than that, all right? But basically, can we go with that? It's basic working. I mean, I'm sure there's more things that go to it. They would crush, they would put great weight on these olives. That's what happened in this garden where Jesus was praying. They put this these great weight on these olives and all of a sudden oil would seep out of it. Notice this. It's very important that Jesus is there. And he's praying. He says, God, if it's possible, let this suffering that we're talking about pass from me. And he says, nevertheless, your will be done. And so we also know from some other sections of Scripture that when Jesus is there, he begins to what? Sweat drops of blood. We got olives, Gethsemane oil press, olives, put a great weight on them. What happens? The oil seeps out. They have a symbol and a picture here that Jesus, when he is going through that, it's a physical malady that happens when people are under stress. It's, a, it's something they can't. the capillaries in your, your, uh, in your body will break and, and sometimes the blood will seep out of the pores. It's actually a, a medical th- a issue that you can have. So that would happen. And so blood would come out. So what you have here is the weight of sin being transferred on Jesus. And so the darkness is meant to show that the weight of sin is settling in on jesus and that the punishment he says god why are you forsaking me because right there god is punishing jesus not for any crime jesus committed because he's sinless but for the sins of all who would believe on him he was placing on jesus his wrath the other last night my little boy if you've ever seen him he never stops moving and that I mean, and you think, oh, certainly he will stop moving when he's not excited about being at church. No, it never stops. I don't know where he gets it from, okay? I mean he is just moving and, and he does all that and you're laughing because you've seen it. And so about we he had been in bed for all of about two hours last night when I come into bed, okay, I was doing my last minute stuff, getting ready for getting ready for today. And and I come in there and it's about eleven thirty and he's he looks at me, hey dad to get him to sleep. How you doing? Like, I'm doing fine, buddy. How are you? I'm awake. I'm like, I know. That's awesome. Thanks for being awake. And so I'm trying to get him to calm down and go to sleep. And I turn off the lights, and he gets this, Dad! Dad! Ah! And Amy is out, but she walks, I just turned out light. He's afraid of the dark. And there's this, darkness has, has this connotation of fears. From, especially for little kids, they get afraid of the dark. And so I want you to get this. There's an ominous sign here that the judgment of God is coming down upon Jesus. And this would not, this is not uncommon. This, is, this should not take us by surprise. Remember Jesus' weird cousin John the Baptist, who, who Ate locusts and wore camel hair and lived in the wilderness and would yell at people. Remember, that's his weird cousin. We all got weird family members. When he saw Jesus the first time, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And we've talked about that. It has all these Old Testament connotations. And one of the things they used to do was was the people, when they would bring the sacrifice of a spotless lamb, they would place their hands on that lamb, and it would be symbolic of their sins being transferred from them to this substitute, and that substitute would come in and be killed on their behalf. You know what substitute is. We have them all the time, or your kids probably do, or you had them when you were a kid, and you loved that day when you showed up at school, and it was like, the teacher's not here, there's a substitute. What is the substitute there to do? Take the place of That teacher of take the place of someone. And so we see this Old Testament idea. Jesus' weird cousin said, look, the Lamb of God has come. And so we've talked about that again and again. And so we see here Jesus is the Lamb of God and that he comes to pay the penalty for sin. There's a word used in the Bible. It's used in four places in the verb form. And it's very important. It's the word propitiation. That's That's what's happening here. When Jesus is crying out, God, why are you forsaking me? There's not a disconnect between in the sense of that Jesus ever stopped being God or being connected to the Father. But there is this sense of that God the Father is pouring out his judgment against sin on Jesus. The darkness and his cries show that to be true. And there are several passages of Scripture that talk about this word propitiation. You ready to learn a new word? Word of the day. You can use this later, okay? Propitiation. This word, let me me show you where it's used first. Hebrews 2.17 says this. Therefore, he, talking about Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. And here's that word, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You got that? It occurs in Hebrews two seventeen. Another place it occurs, occurs is in 1 John 2, 2. I'm going to read it to you. He is the, talking about Jesus, is the propitiation. You got that? You, you're with me right now? We should say that word together, okay? You want that would be fun, all right? I'll say it and you follow it. Propitiation. Y'all are good. I mean, this is sounding like, this is some, some good stuff right here. We're in rare air, okay? You said it right, too. Propitiation. Okay, propitiation. First John 2.2, 2. he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. In 1 John 4.10, it says this, in this is love. And remember, we talked about love casting out fear. You remember we just read that. Listen, First John 4.10, in the context of Jesus' death, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, what does that word mean? We kind of get the sense of it because we know Jesus' death was a sacrifice, but I want to give you a helpful definition of it, and it's this, propitiation is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end, and in so doing, it changes God's wrath towards us into favor. You ever notice we talk about being saved a whole lot? you ever been in church, you've probably heard a lot of people talking. I'm saved. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, if you want to really get into it, okay? Saved. And then the question is, and I always want to ask this, and I know the answer, but I just like to, you know, you just, you just like to just find out if people know what they're talking about. I do. I do that all the time. And you should do it to me. Like, does he know what he's talking about? Maybe, okay? <laughs> I think so. If it's a, if it's according to the Bible, then I do, okay? And so here we got this idea of saved. What are you saved from? And then an answer. I've asked this question before. I like you stuff, and they go, from hell. Uh, kind of, but you know what hell is? It's the manifestation and the revealing of the wrath of God. Now, we don't think about, we don't use the word wrath, but it's the anger, the just judgment, the just anger of God towards sin. Now, one of the reasons we, we, we don't like the word wrath. There's a lot of reasons why we don't like the word wrath, but one of it is we think of the way we get angry. Okay, we well, don't we. Our, usually, our anger it comes in spits and spits and starts, and it's usually like we like lose it. You ever done that before? Somebody's talking to you, like you tap it on the shoulder. I was a youth pastor. I know how this is. A tap on your shoulder. I used to hate my name because they would say, "Hey, Matt, 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 Matt." I'm changing names, okay? But then it would be Mark, 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 or whatever. It would have been like that. And if you have kids, you know that. I hate, I was just talking, Dad, Dad. Hey, Dad, 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 Dad. You know that? And then you're finally like, what? <laughs> that's what we think about when we think of anger. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you, okay? That's what we think about. But that's not, that's not God's anger, He's patient and slow to anger, and he has given us warning upon warning, and he has even made a way to have that that sin and anger abolished. God's anger is controlled and justified anger because our sins, ultimately, even though we're against each other at times, they're ultimately against him, and we're rebelling against this good God. And so we got this idea here that propitiation is that Jesus, we're not just saved from hell, we are saved from the wrath of God of God every one of us deserves the judgment of God but Jesus takes it on our behalf if you don't realize if you don't think that the universality of knowing that we deserve judgment is around just think about guilt there is this there's a story written by Edgar Allan Poe called the telltale heart now you don't have to go read that or even know what it's about okay I lost some of you. Are like that's literature. No. Okay. There's this. There's this story called The Telltale Heart, and this guy has committed a murder, and he is driven insane by the sound of a beating heart beneath the floorboard where he had dismembered the body. That's pretty. That's pretty wicked story right there. And all he would hear was dun It drove him insane. Why? Why does, that story, why does that story resonate with so many people over the years and it's still read? because of guilt. Every one of us knows. Every one of us knows that guilt is there. We have to deal with it. It's like a story like in in Macbeth and Shakespeare, okay, and you don't have to read that. You have to know there is a movie. You go check it out. They speak weird. It's fine. Macbeth in this story, they, Lady Macbeth and her husband, they, they kill uh, the king, and she is driven insane by the guilt, and she has, she feels like she has blood on her hands, and she washes her hands and washes her hands, and she says, "Get out of here, you vile spot!" and it's just the stain. And if you want to go around anybody, that's why. If you ask them, if they, if you were asked this question, anybody, if you know for certain, if you die today, you were gonna, if you would go to heaven or to hell, and they would say, well, and they would start listing off all the good things that they did. Why? Would would they list that and why do they get so defensive and why when I tell people I'm a pastor it's like I've been good I gave somebody $50 and I'm like cool All right, big whoop because we want to just tell ourselves stories to make us look good and feel good and we have this inner guilt that we're trying to cover up it's kind of like Adam and Eve when they were when God said hey where are you guys at and they're like covering themselves with fig leaves and that's what we do all the time when guilt is there and so we it's evident you can deny it all you want to Guilt is there. And the guilt points to the fact that divine judgment is coming for our sins. And there's no way for us to cover them except for them to be paid for. Except for God and his great mercy. The sacrifice that the Bible talks about as a propitiation. It's a sacrifice that bears the wrath of God on the behalf of someone else. So that God's anger will be appeased. And that his, his, his face would turn from anger to favor. This is heavy stuff. And this, is, this wrath is signified by the fact that it's dark in the middle of the day. This, the Son of God is on the cross and it's dark. And he cries out in this voice, My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? There's never been a moment in Jesus' life where he has felt this great weight of sin. He's right there. He has never sinned. He is the perfect son of God. And he is bearing on his cross. And he he even proclaims it. God, why are you forsaking me? He he feels the great weight of sin and judgment upon him. And he is there to pay that penalty. So note this, that Jesus bore the wrath of God for us as a substitute. Substitute. Secondly, know this, in bearing God's wrath, Jesus completely paid for sin. Now, look further on in this passage, okay? Matthew chapter 27, verse 47 says this, and some of the bystanders hearing it, they said, this man is calling Elijah. Now, the reason they thought he was calling Elijah is he was saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, okay? And that, doesn't that Eli kind of sound like Elijah? Yeah? You ever been really tired in the morning and you try to communicate with somebody? And you're like, okay, think about this. Jesus has been beaten. He's been up all night. He's been tried. He's, he couldn't even carry his cross because he had been beaten and mocked so much, and he has not, ta- he not tasted any, any food or, or water uh, or wine since, since basically uh, the upper room situation, which was about 24 hours ago. So we get to this point. He is totally and utterly at his end physically. And it would, not, it would not be out of sorts for him not to be able, in his weakness, not to be able to enunciate the words as clearly as some might think. So they might think he's calling Elijah. Does that make sense to you? And so we see here that, he, that some people think he's calling Elijah to come help him. That's not the case. Verse 48, and one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, kind of giving him enough moisture in which to speak. Verse 49 says, and also to uh, fulfill scripture. Verse 49 says this, but the other said, hey, wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And then we get in verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. Now, let's connect this. The other Gospels give us other details about Jesus' death on the cross. One situation when he cried out loud... It was, into your hands I commit my spirit. Note this, that even at the point of death, even though he was bearing the wrath of God for sins, which is due for sin, he still trusted God. This is amazing. And he says, God, I commit my spirit to you. At his greatest point of need, I trust God. What an amazing Savior. Not only that, he also uttered this cry we know from John 19. He says, it is finished! What a way to go out. It's done! That means this, in bearing the wrath of sin as our propitiation, as the sacrifice that bears the wrath so that God's favor will now be be gracious towards us. His favor will now be changed from from judgment to that of love and favor. That, that, That idea is that jesus paid once and for all in bearing our sin he took care of the bill that we owed for sin it's not like paying the minimum on a credit card you ever anybody that a reality for anybody else okay got this credit card and then for that month, it's got this thing, like, minimum payment, okay? You could owe, like, $10,000, like, your minimum payment's only $6, okay? <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And then you realize, like, you'll pay this off in 2037, okay? I mean, like, that's not even close. In 2150, you'll k- pr- pay off this credit card. So you got that. You know what I'm talking about? You look at it and you're like, I'll never. You're the only person that has a credit card, Matt. It's, you ever got that? You get the minimum payment, you pay that, and then what happens? It's paid for that month, then what happens the next month? They send you another bill, and they expect more money. Why? Because you still owe a debt. That's not how it works with Jesus. That penalty for sin was paid once and for all. In his saying on the cross, it is finished. It was paid. Done. All the wrath that you do for every sin, past, present, or future, was paid for that day he bore the wrath so that you can know life with God you can know peace and you do not have to pay that anymore he paid every last cent it's not like a credit card minimum payment yeah you did pay it but it wasn't enough no it is paid it is finished he was crucified it happened it is done now, what does that do for us? It brings freedom. We no longer have to fear God's punishment. Now, let me be clear at this point. When I'm talking we, I'm speaking to those who have trusted Christ by faith. I am not speaking to those, and I'm doing this, and I'm not speaking these promises to those who, of you who have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Because, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you still bear the guilt of your sin and it must be punished. I just want to be clear about that. These promises and this good news we're talking about are for those who have trusted Christ. And the good news today is that you can trust Christ. I mean, we, get it, we got it. it, it and, and We see that Jesus was the propitiation not only for our sins but the sins of the whole world. You don't believe me? 1 John 4.10. It was pretty crazy. But I want you to be clear that, that here's what, coming to Christ, here is the freedom. It brings you freedom from fear. Fear of this. Freedom from the fear of judgment and condemnation. Paul would talk about this in the book of Romans. It's really about the cross of Christ and the penalty that Jesus paid on our behalf. And he says in Romans 8, he says, there is now, there is now, Therefore, there is now no more condemnation, no more judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of spirit of the law of the spirit of life has set you free. Why? Because Jesus paid it. One of the oldest concepts in Western civilization's legal history is the idea of double jeopardy. Have you ever heard this one before? There was even a movie that came out about it. From it, it, it double jeopardy it has two ideas. Number one is this: that once you've been tried for a crime, you can't be tried for it again the second time. Tried and acquitted. So that means, like, even if you did commit the crime uh, and they find out evidence later shows that you did commit it, you can't be tried for that again, okay, because it's already been, the verdict's already been handed down. There's a second aspect of this that it comes around as this, that you cannot, you cannot be forced to pay the penalty for your crime twice. You can't be like, oh, you committed this, well, we got you one sentence and you have this other sentence. No, you can only be convicted and, and receive the punishment for a crime one time. You can't have it happen twice, which is nice, because they just keep compounding it if it was the other case. Now, this is part of the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution. That doesn't really matter, and it doesn't really apply here necessarily, except for I want to give, pres- uh, give you a principle that we see here, is that the sins that we have committed, and we trust Christ and we trust His death on our behalf, those sins are paid for, and they don't have to be paid for again because He paid them in full. And so we don't have to worry about them because they're done. Does that make sense? You're free from those. You you don't bear the consequence. You don't bear the judgment. He paid it. And once he paid it, and if you had to pay for it again, that would be unjust, right? Because he paid for it. So what is the plea of every Christian at every moment of every day? It's not that I'm good. It's that Jesus paid it. He already took care of that one. The bill comes. now nah, he's got it. You ever go out to eat? Uh, when, I go out to, when we were in seminary, I'd go out to eat with our parents, and we could eat whatever we wanted, <laughs> and the bill would get paid for because we were broke, and they knew it, okay? But I didn't have to worry when the bill came due if I was going to have to pay it because they got it, okay? Thank God for them, all right? And you know, that's how it is. The bill comes due. It's already been paid. You get this? Jesus bore the wrath of sin. There's no double jeopardy. You don't have to pay for it. Again, sin and condemnation are done in Christ. Done. Paid for. That's why we can be right. Second thing, free, we are free now because of the cross of Christ from self-justification. The constant striving to be good enough, holy enough, and right enough. We don't trust ourselves. We can't trust ourselves. Trusting ourselves got us to the wrath of God. It's sending us to hell. What we trust is the cross of Christ that paid our sin. And because of that, we no longer have to strive to be right in God's eyes because we are made right by Jesus. Now, this is not a call for us not to pursue holiness. No, this is a call for us not to try to be good on our own because every one of us, in since this is kind of like the dominant religion of the world apart from Christianity is this, I have to do just enough good to outweigh my bad. Therefore, I might be a good enough person to get to the afterlife, whatever the afterlife might be. Every other religion teaches that. Every one of them. Now, it may be different and nuanced in a different way, but it's exactly the same. Every religion basically teaches the same thing besides Christianity, and it's this. Just do 51% good, 49% bad, obey these rules, be religious in this, say, you know, go pray towards Mecca, okay, go do this, go do that, then you'll be right with God. Christianity says, you're right with God because God paid the penalty for your sins on the cross, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, it's paid for. Done. Therefore, you don't have to sit there and try to make your fig leaves cover your shame. You don't have to sit there and try to, when someone asks you if you're a good person, you don't have to lie. You could be like, no, I'm not. And if you think the things I'm thinking about you for asking me that question, you would know I wasn't a good person. I am not a good person. But I know the best person. He died for my sins, and he bore the penalty for my sins, and now I strive to obey him every day out of love. And so we don't have to keep listing these things, these, oh, I'm good here and I'm good there, and try to minimize our bad. We can, we, can ex- we can confess the bad and trust in Christ. There was a girl that uh, was in our youth group, uh, one of the first times... Uh, I was a I was a youth pastor. It was in Florida, and this little girl had um, her dad was an alcoholic, and because of that, she just had issues. Um, she just her dad would show up to things when he you know, he would not show up to things most of the time, and when he did show up to things, he was drunk and he embarrass her. And and she was a she was um, on a lot of teams at the high school. She was in student government, and she she was desperately. It, she, she was desperately trying to, to love God and put him first in her life. I can say that with complete, um, just, just off outside looking in. I don't know her heart, but that's what it seemed like. And she would come to me and Amy every week, it seemed like, with this list of things that she was struggling with. And it was more so than just, hey, hold me accountable. It was like she was... I don't know. I got to pay for this sin again. I got to pay for this sin again, and I got to. I got. I. If I got to do better here, and I, I got to do better here, because you know God is. He's, he's angry, and 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 I and I, one day I just looked at her and I said, He is not angry anymore. You've trusted Christ, right? Yeah. Oh, no, he's not angry. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He died for you. And he's paid for. Now, yes, you should strive for holiness and try to live after Him out of obedience. But you no longer have to try to hide behind your good work because they won't get you there. I wish I don't. I don't. I had, man, we hadn't heard from her in years. I don't know if that ever sunk in, but that is the gospel that you can't pay for it. Sin must be paid for in eternal hell, which is the suffering of the wrath of God. But the good news, the gospel news is this, that the Son of God, who was sinless and perfect, died as a substitute on behalf of sinners, as a propitiation, as a sacrifice, bearing the wrath of God. Evidenced by, in his death, he cried out he was forsaken, and that the darkness had come. And that he declared, it is finished, it is done. We have no more condemnation left if we are in Christ, because Jesus bore it for us. We do not have to worry about our Father's disposition towards us because he poured out all of his anger and righteous judgment on Jesus so now we can know the smile of our Father. We no longer have to fear death and judgment and condemnation. And we may admit the spots like Lady Macbeth or the beating heart under the floorboard has been paid for by Jesus. And so when the guilt arises, we don't have to say, I'm good enough, I one time gave five dollars to a homeless guy. I try to do this. I try to be religious. No, you know what you say? You say, Jesus paid it. So everything changes. That's why we at this church are crazy Jesus obsessed, because we don't have any good apart from Jesus. He paid it all, every bit of it. We don't have to fear punishment. There's no condemnation. We can walk in freedom. And some of you need to know that today and walk out of here and go enjoy some Mexican food or wherever you're gonna go and not feel the guilt of I didn't pray enough today or la, 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 la. just go trust Jesus and eat some food and have a nice day. I know that sounds weird, but it does. Like there's a peace that sets in when you don't have to trust yourself and your righteousness anymore, but you trust his. Because he is righteous. Believe me. Then we go on this. I want you to know only we don't have to fear, we don't have to fear. Judgment, but we also we don't have to fear alienation, estrangement, or separation from God. Look down in verse 51. It says this, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks split. Every time you see the word shaken in the Bible, it has some connotations, okay? Uh, it's it's connected from the old testament and then the way it's translated. In the Greek version of the uh, Old Testament and the way it plays out in itself in Greek, shook, has the idea of God's presence. You see it in Isaiah chapter six when the whole earth or whole throne room was shaking when Isaiah was before God. Not only that, you see it in some other places, and usually it's either it's either when God's present or God's wrath is present, so there's the shaking, and sometimes it's there just to show awe. So there's this shaking that happens in the world when Jesus died, and everybody's probably going, this is a big event. Like, this something significant's happened here. It's been dark from, like, noon, okay? This is very uncomfortable. It's dark. Jesus cries out. The the whole city shakes, and in the temple where people worship God, there is a tearing that happens and this is a thick curtain and there's some debate as to whether what curtain this is but here's the curtain i believe it is i believe it's the curtain that used to separate the separate one of the courts from the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant would have resided and it is the place where it represented the holiness of god in the presence of god and so when jesus died and it's very significant that it was torn from the top to the bottom because this was a high curtain it was a big curtain and the t- idea of tearing it from the top to the bottom d- means it didn't come from man, it came from God. If you think back to some of the sermons we've had, we're talking about the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 32. Remember when God showed up on the mountain and there was this flame, you know, and they, were, they had to rope off the mountain and they said, do not touch the mountain. If you touch the mountain, you will be killed. You and your family and your, and your animals, like, bam, dead. That's pretty big time. Showing the holiness of God. You approach God, you touch the Ark of the Covenant and some of the other Old Testament scriptures, you know what happened to you? You don't get that, oh, I'm sorry. No, you dropped dead. Because that shows the holiness and the, separ- the separateness of God. And so when you get to this place when the, when the Holy of Holies, the holiness of God, the place represented God's presence. When that is split, it shows that we now because of jesus and through jesus have access to god we have been reconciled we were once estranged and now we are brought close one of the great images of this in the bible is the prodigal son in luke you remember this story there's a guy he tells his dad i want my money i want your inheritance i wish you were dead i want to go live my life and what happens the father gives it to his son. The son goes out, and he rebels against the father. He wishes he was dead. He goes out, and he spends it on prostitutes and parties. And he goes and has a good time. And then what happens? The bill comes due, and he can't pay it. He's broke. He's one to eat pods that pigs are eating. And if you've ever seen a pig, that's pretty low. Okay? And so he's, and then he says, I'm going to go home. And even, my, even the servants in my dad's house have better than this. I'm going to go home to dad. And he's at least going to put me up. And what do you see in that great picture of the father? He sees that kid coming, and he waits for him and gives him a stern talking to. And he says, you can work your way back up into my presence. No, what does he do? He said, caught you there. Okay, said, that, that, that story was awful. No, what does he do? He sees him, and he, he takes his cloak, and he runs. And he hugs him. He says, he's home. He can come back, let's throw a party, give him a ring, give him a cloak, he's home, my son is home. He can come back into my presence, and that is the picture here. The thing that separated us from God, which is sin, and the judgment we owe that we is due because of sin, has been paid for by Christ. And so we have open access to God. So don't listen to anybody who ever tells you you need a go-between besides Jesus, because you don't. That's the way a lot of people like to keep their power, saying, you have to go through me to get to God. No, you have to go through Jesus. He's the direct representative. You are free to give him a call. You are free to talk to him. You are free to come into his presence. You You are no longer estranged. You are forgiven because of his son and what he has done, and you can come into his presence, exemplified by the fact that the Veil was torn. And that's a crazy, crazy thing that we can talk to God. Because most of us, if we tried to even talk to our senator or congressman, we would get blown off. It's it's true. Go ahead, try it this week. Okay? Try to call a presidential candidate. That's going to work out real well. Okay? See if they let you you through. I got something real important for them. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Security, take them away. But the God of the universe is available and is a breath away in a prayer, and again, it's not because we are good; it is because He is good and He is loving. And so, we no longer have to fear judgment. It's paid for. We know we walk in freedom. We also that we don't have to fear estrangement. We don't have to fear that God is somehow holding things against us. You know why He's not? Because Jesus paid for it. He is favorably disposed to us because Jesus bore our wrath as our substitute. What we owed. Jesus paid, and now we have life, and we no longer have to fear punishment, and we no longer have to fear estrangement. And also, here's a big one. We don't have to fear death. Because then here's some of the weirdest part of the Bible. I love this. Remember, it says the earth shook and the rocks were split, and the tombs also were opened. Yes, those are graves. They're open. The graves are different than ours. We usually put people in the ground. They put uh, people in caves, okay, and in these caves, they had a stone that would roll in front of it, and they would, it would keep, you know, animals from coming out, and they would put people in these caves, let them decompose. And they were family tombs. A lot of family would be in there, and they would take the bones, and they would put the bones in a box after the body decomposed, and they would slide it in, and then they would have that place available to lay the next body. And so this idea of the tomb, we don't know if these bodies were freshly dead or they were long dead in bones, okay? And it doesn't matter because God can speak. We saw this in Ezekiel. God can speak to dry bones, and they can live, Okay, and so we get here, verse fifty-two. The tombs are open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. They just kind of come to, and they're alive again. Dead people living. Now that sounds wild, except for there is evidence, not only biblical but extra-biblical in the sense that these guys are writing around the first century. If someone wanted to debunk this, it would be very easily. No, they didn't. We didn't see anybody raised from the dead. But there's apparently enough witnesses because here's what happens. Look at verse 43. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, after Jesus' resurrection, these who were raised, they come out of the tombs, walking dead. It's awesome. And they went into the holy city, Jerusalem, the place that shook, the place where the veil was torn. They went into Jerusalem, and they appeared to many. That was probably very entertaining. Can you imagine that? Uncle Steve, like, hey, guys, woo! he's been dead. <laughs> Just want to let you know something. Jesus is alive, and so am I. This is weird. Now, we, here is the great thing. We don't know what happened to them. We don't know if they had a resurrection body like Jesus and were, transcend- they were were taken up to heaven like he will be after his resurrection. We don't know if this was just a, 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 a time of resurrection and they died again. We don't know. And if anybody tells you they do know, they don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. I know that was really difficult logic, wasn't it? <laughs> Sorry. Verse 54, and when the centurion and those who, uh, and, and it says, and the coming out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And so I want you to get this, that because of the cross, this is the first fruits of the resurrection, that Jesus, that we no longer have to fear death because of Jesus because he's going to be resurrected, and he's going to raise those with him. Why? Because we are in him. You ever, have you seen, there's been a, like a plethora of movies that have been out and TV shows and even songs that talk about how you would live if you were dying. And I think there's a, a good part of all those songs, you know? You got that Tim McGraw, you went skydiving. Okay, you went, <laughs> some of you know, that. We're, in, we're close to Nashville, I can do that, all right? There's all, there's a bucket list movie, there's all these different things that have come out, and you think about, and it's like kind of that seize the day mentality, and there's something good to that, because you only have a little short lifespan on this planet, but I want you to get something, that our life does not end here, we have eternity left, why? Because of Jesus. He never dies. We're in Him. We have resurrection life. So the question would be, what could you do and what would you do if you would never die? And you think about it, dude, I would go skydiving. (laughs) I would do this. And I want you to get this. You will not die. Now, you will die physically unless Jesus comes. But you will not die forever you'll never cease to exist your spirit will live and then one day when he resurrects your body they will be rejoined and you will have a resurrected body so what's there to fear if you take the fear of death out of things what's left maybe public speaking maybe the only fear left you get over that because i mean that's easy they won't kill you oh wait if they do you're still gonna live that's what makes people do stupid things, at least in our lives. i got some friends right now who are in Madagascar and who have left every possible convenience to live in Madagascar, one of the gnarly places I've ever heard about on the world. They constantly are sick with stomach ailments because they have some parasite that they can't figure out what it is. They walked the other day. They, were gonna, they had a, a friend that got sick in another village who has been showing interest in the gospel, okay? And and so they went to go visit him. Do you know how far they had to walk? They had to walk 25 miles to go visit this friend and share the gospel with him again. And it was 100 plus degrees. Now, these people have college degrees, master's degrees, very intelligent, could probably make a great living for themselves. But they have sold, they have literally sold everything. Their names are Todd and Deborah. Clint's been to their, their parents' house, okay, with me. These people exist. They sold everything, and moved to Madagascar to tell people about Jesus. And a lot of us sometimes, if we're really left to our own devices and we kind of got the filter, the holiness filter that left, we'd be like, they are crazy. And they are crazy if we only live for this life. But if we live for the eternity to come and we believe that Jesus rose and we will rise, then whatever we pay here, we know that there's more to come. That just sets you free, man. Doesn't it? If you don't have, What do you got to fear? You got to feel judgment? Nope, paid for. You have to be righteous? Nope, I got to trust someone else's righteousness, Jesus's. Well, well what, how do you know you know God? I know God because Jesus died for me, and I trust him, and he split the veil so I can come in the presence of God, so God can hear me no matter whether I'm in Hartsville or Alaska or wherever. I don't know why I connected Hartsville Alaska. I don't know why. But wherever. I guess that was two remote places. I don't know. I, God, you know what, you're never estranged from God. You hear the psalmist talking about if I go down in the depths, you're there. If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. There is never a place where you're not with him because of his goodness and grace to you. In Jesus, not only that, we no longer have to fear death because if we die, we will live. Jesus said it. So we're remarkably free, and we don't have to be driven by the fears that are obviously there. In Christ, our sins have been paid for. We are free to walk in newness of life. We are free. We're new creations. We do not have to be bound by the bondage of that sin anymore. He has paid the penalty. Anyone can call out my sins any day of the week, and I said, you're probably right. (laughs) He paid for them, though. And you can't find any fault with him. We have complete and utter righteousness, not our own, but his own applied to our behalf. And so here's my question for us. How will we live? How will we be defined? Were our lives be defined by fear? How is your life defined by fear if you're in the clutches of sin? Because there is no greater thing to fear than the wrath of God. ISIS ain't got nothing on the wrath of God. Gun control, lack of not the tyrannical government, it's got nothing on God. What did Jesus say? Don't don't just fear the ones who can, don't fear the one who can just kill the body. Fear the one that can kill, kill the body and soul and death and, and, and hell forever. That's what Jesus is talking about. There is a reality here that will you be defined by the fear of not being in Christ and having to pay for your own sins? Will you be driven by that? You'll be driven by every turn and to hold on to your life with everything you got because this is it, and after that comes the judgment, or will you walk in faith and freedom? There's two ways to walk: in fear or in faith in the Son of God who brings freedom because he paid for sin. How will you walk? 1 John 4:18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love. Cast out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. He was the propitiation. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but He is our propitiation. He bore the wrath so that we can know. And how do you come into this relationship? It is simply by faith. Will you turn? Those of you who are under judgment will you turn and trust Christ. Those of you who have trusted him and today I would ask you this, will you walk in freedom? Freedom is not sin. Sin is bondage. I'm not asking you to walk in walk in sin. No. I'm asking you to walk in faith and freedom, trusting Christ every way, living a death-defying life because death doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, I'm going to die, but I'm going to live. Yeah, I can go anywhere in the world, and I can feel any way possible. I can be down. I can be discouraged, but I know I can come to God, and he will hear me because we are no longer estranged because the curtain has been torn, and I have access to God. I no longer have to fear judgment even though I do sin. We have an advocate with the Father, the gracious high priest that we run to, and he says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. How is he faithful and just? He paid for the sins. He won't charge us twice. It's been paid for. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a radical message. It is. It's crazy freeing. It's amazing. It makes people squirm because it's always like, well, if my sins are already paid for, then I don't have to obey. Are you crazy? Why would you not obey the one who paid for your sin? This is wild. I want, to see, I, I, want to, I want to justify myself. I want to be right in my own. I want to pull myself up from my bootstraps. Good luck. This is the amazing grace of Jesus. On the cross, your sins were paid for as your substitute. He died for your sins. Secondly, it broke down the barrier. You do not have to fear estrangement. God is for you. He is not against you. He loves you. And thirdly, you will never die and you will live for them forever. This is not some fanciful hopes like you ever done that? Like a lot of people talk about faith, like I I, I just have faith everything's gonna work out, okay? What what makes you think that? Like Oprah, okay, or whoever? Because that's basically the same message, okay? What what makes you think what makes you think, judging by, you know, the news and everything, that everything's gonna work out fine? What makes you think that? Is it terrorism? Is it economy's volatility? Is it greed? Is it all these things? Make what, what makes you think that everything's going to turn out right? You've just got blind faith. Our faith is not blind. It's rooted in historical events and in the character and nature of God revealed through people. And we have the very words of God. We are not people who hope blindly. We are people that hope in confidence. So, brothers and sisters, let's walk in freedom. Let us walk in liberty. Let us make much of Jesus. The cross that was meant to kill is our victory. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to enjoy. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the cross of Christ. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you that there is no condemnation for us if we're in Christ Jesus. I pray specifically for those today that don't know Christ, that they would come and see this, this, this good news as good news and would come and trust Jesus. And God, we pray you do your, whole, you do your work of regeneration and we pray that, that you would do that, God, and we pray that these people respond in faith. And God, we invite them today to come and talk with the elder if they need that. Secondly, God, we pray today that we would walk in freedom, the freedom from the bondage of sin and death. We would walk in the holiness that you bought for us and is imputed to us, the righteousness. God, we pray that we would walk and know you and walk like people who are no longer estranged but have direct access to you. And God, we pray today that we would walk as people who don't fear death because death is nothing to us but a gateway to you and to eternity. You're so good. Let us not be dominated by fear, but freedom and faith. In Jesus' name, amen.